You know, our church uh, purchased this 49 and a half acres of land, and I had them to get me back the dates on that on December the 18th, uh, 1992. That's been a long time ago. Uh, what this was, this was 49 and a half acres owned by three different landowners. One, one person didn't own all of this. So the county, uh, Harris County, owned the corner of Fairmont and Red Bluff, and so you had to buy that. And then there's a little center section in all this land that was owned by a man named Mr. Susso. And, um, and then the remainder of this 49 acres was owned by Friendswood Development. And uh, so it was kind of a complex deal to put it all together. And Rick Carlisle, who's now gone to be the Lord, uh, he, he helped orchestrate getting all that put together so when we got ready to buy it all worked out good now once we bought the land I remember that that's in 1992 now in August of 1995 almost three years later almost three years later the church voted to elect uh, a master plan committee all we had out here was 49 and a half acres of dirt that's what we had all right but we knew we were going to build some buildings at some point and we wanted to know how it was going to all work out. So the church elected this committee, and I traveled with them, and we traveled a lot of different places, not only in Texas but out of Texas, and, 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 and find a, an architect that the committee felt would be a good architect to do the master plan. And so that architect developed you know, how all this would be now, there's been some tweaks here and there, but I have a picture of that for you to see on the board. So we had that master plan, and we, we knew how everything was going to sit before we started. Now, the architect that did all this, uh, is the one that did this big part, uh, there, there were some little changes made of that. But the point is, we, we kind of had a plan. And as I thought about that and thought about what we're going to do tonight, let me say this. God has a master plan for every person living. He really does. And of course, his major master plan is that at some point, everybody would spend eternity with him in heaven. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. So that's, that's God's big picture plan for that. But as we live now, we're not in heaven. We're here. We're on earth. We're in this world. The fact of the matter is, the moment you were born, I believe this with all my heart, God had a plan for your life, just like he did for my life. And the Bible is very clear about that. In fact, let me just read a verse or two. You might want to jot the reference down, but we won't take time to look all this up. But in Psalm 138, the Bible says, the Lord will work out his plan for my life. That's one of my favorite verses about God's plan for our life. And then the verse that we all hear quoted so oftentimes, you know, that God, it's in, in Jeremiah, where uh, Jeremiah, of course, is, is, has written a letter to the Hebrew people, the Israelites that are in Babylonian captivity. And what he says in that letter, it's a very famous verse. He says, God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. So God was saying to the uh, Israelites in their captivity, look here, God has a plan. 
Well, God has a plan for everybody. Now, I want you, if you will, before we get into our Old Testament reading, if you'll open your Bible to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, I want us to see a very, very important verse. And in this little section we're going to look, we're going to run across this little phrase, God makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, look with me in Ephesians in chapter 1. And remember, I'm reading out New Living Translation, so you may have a different. But in verse number 11, Paul's writing, he says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Now, if you're a Bible underliner, a word circler, uh, you know, the, the Christ, you know, he's the source of our inheritance. And notice it says we have received, not we will receive. You know, Christ is the source. And what Paul's saying is because we're connected to him, we have already received our inheritance from God, for he chooses us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. This word work is, comes from the very same Greek word that the word energy comes from. It's like when God created uh, the universe, God created the world, the moment he did it could function. It's not like God created the universe. Then God said, okay, I've created the universe. Now what I've got to do is I've got to get the universe working. I need to make the sun shine. I need to do all these things. The moment God created, there was that energy that made everything function. And that same truth is here. That same very energy God uses to work out everything he has planned for you and me. So, you, you, you know, you stop and think about that. God, you know, the, the whole point is sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm at whatever age I am in life, and, you know, if God had some plan for me, then I've missed it. Well, <laughs> you, you may have missed something God had planned for you in years gone by. Perhaps we all have done that. But we don't live in years gone by. We live right now. And the fact that you and I are alive right now means that God, at this very moment, forward, God has a plan for our lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Now, we're going to be using tonight Moses as an example. And we're going to read some, we're going to read some Bible verses about Moses. I'm going to, I'll say it this way. We're going to kind of read the story a little bit, as time permits. And what we want to ask ourselves, be thinking about, even before we start reading, is, is, these things that happened to Moses, these things that he experienced, were they coincidental or were they providential? You know, you go through life, something happens. Well, or, you know, it, it doesn't mean something bad or good. It just means something happens. Maybe uh, some person comes into your life or there's this or that. You know, is this just a coincidence or could this be the providence of God? Well, remember, God is sovereign, and that word sovereign means reign like a monarch. I mean, God, God's in control of everything because that's who God is, and we'll, we'll land on two or three verses. It will help us with that a little bit later. But that said, I want you to turn back to me the last chapter in the book of Genesis, chapter number 50. And uh, I'm just going to say to you up front tonight, this is going to be a, 
a, a fun Bible time. It really is. And I think we will finally work our way over to where you have some blanks to fill in, but we are, we're not there yet. We're just going to look at some things. Now, I thought the best way to handle this is first just look in the Bible and, and kind of get a little background of what's going on as we lead into the story of Moses. Now, in Genesis chapter 50, if you'll look with me down in verse 24, uh, Joseph is talking to his brothers. And Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, that was God's plan. We've read about that. God had a plan, and it involved the, it involved the promised land, and it involved what God was going to give. And so that was part of God's plan. Now, if you look down in verse 26, it says, So Joseph went on and died at an age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him. And his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, it's very, very interesting. Almost four centuries later, Moses took Joseph's bones out of Egypt. And then later, Joshua buried them at Shechem. And so that's kind of the background in how, how Moses is about to come on the scene. Now, in Exodus chapter 1, Let's, let's just begin in verse 6 for time's sake. It says, in time, Joseph and all his brothers died. Now, we've just read about that. Ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Now, if you look back in verse 5, the Bible tells us that you know, what we finally had of the Hebrew people over, you know, Joseph was there and he'd kind of become the prime minister. And ultimately his father has come, so his brothers all come. But when they all got there, if you look in verse 5, Exodus chapter 1, verse 5, and all Jacob had uh, 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. So there are just 70 Hebrew people in Egypt. But not long thereafter, they began to have children, and those children had children, and they had children. And so you've just got this huge population of Hebrew people in Egypt. Started out with 70, and now it's this. Well, it, it, they became so many, and they multiplied so greatly, they became extremely powerful, filled the land. Verse 8, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. Well, he's kind of seen the situation. Well, he comes up with plan A in verse 11. You kind of know the story. I'll not read it all. But the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. And of course, in verse 13, it says the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. Uh, you go on down to the last part of verse 14. They were ruthless in all their demands. So they thought, well, what we'll do, we'll work them to death. And it'll kind of slow down this population explosion. 
Well, that was plan, that, that was plan A. And you know the story. Plan A didn't work. So there was plan B. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. He said, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. This was, now, this is going to stop the population explosion. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives. He said, why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed their boys to live? And the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives said. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get to them in time to do what you've ordered us to do. So that was that, that, that plan B flunked. Then if you go down to verse 22, we have plan C. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Now, this was about 1525 B.C. when this order was given. And, and so here we are. You see people making plans. But now we need to always remember, God's sovereign. He's sovereign over everybody and everybody's plans. And, and so that little background, and then in chapter 2, this is the exciting part. Let's look at these first few verses because now Moses comes on the scene. Let's just read the, look with me as I journey through these first 10 verses. About this time, uh, I like the way the translation, or the, the t- soon after the king had issued this order about throwing the Hebrew boys into the Nile River, very soon after that, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Now, if you want to make a little note somewhere, you might write down uh, chapter 6, verse 20. In chapter 6, verse 20, in fact, you, if you've written that down, you may want to turn over. It, it tells us who this is. We're talking about Moses' mother and father. In, in chapter 6, verse 20, it says, Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed. And she gave birth to his sons, Aaron and Moses. So when you go back over here in chapter 2, it talks about a man and a woman got married. It's talking about Amram and Jochebed. Uh, that's interesting. You know, Jochebed, <laughs> that was Amram's wife, but it was also his aunt. Marriage in families took place at that point. But in the time, like when we have the book of Leviticus, God forbid that. He said there's not to be any more intermarriage among families, but here we encounter that. Well, the women, the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket, made of papyrus reeds, and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River, The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, now watch this. Look at all this stuff happening here. Like, is it it just coincidental? Or, on the other hand, uh, is it providential? Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it out for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. 
Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Oh, yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took uh, her baby home and nursed him. And then later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water, which is what, is what, uh, is what the word Moses, the name Moses means. Now, I want to stop just a moment. And like, I mean, that's just kind of part of the story of Moses. But you know, now let's think about this a moment. And I jotted this down. Was the basket with Moses, baby Moses, floating in it that kind of wound up being floating down very close to the royal bathing place? Like, would you say, well, that was just coincidental? I mean, uh, Jochebed put him in the basket, and it just, you know, it just that's just kind of where it wound up. Well, is that is that really right? Or did God have something to do with that? And then you think about, you know, the princess just happened to come down at the time when the little baby in the basket had gotten there. I mean, she could have come at some other time. Some other member of the royal court could have come, but that was, it means it's the king's daughter comes down. Like, is this coincidental? You know, we say, well, you know, it's just kind of how the thing worked out. Well, or is it the providence of God? Is it providential? It, it, was God in all this? Was God in any of this? Well, the, these are things that you, you read and you think about, you know. Uh, it, it's interesting. Like <laughs> Moses winds up living and growing up in the palace of the king who had said, I want all boy babies thrown in the Nile. <laughs> well, he's in his house being raised by his daughter. That's kind of an interesting thing. You say, well, that's just kind of how how it all worked out. Well, we'll leave that for a moment. We'll come back. Look with me in verses 11. We enter another little phase of Moses' life, the Midian experience. We won't be able to read it all, but let's look at it a little bit. Many years later, it's interesting, no no details of Moses' life as an adopted son. Just none. I mean, it's just, it's just like we just skip a huge span of time. It just says many years later, okay? When Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. He saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian, hid his body in the sand. The next day when Moses went out again to visit he saw two of the Hebrew men fight. He said, why are you beating up one of your friend? Moses said to one who had started to fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be the prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Now look. Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. Now watch this. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, that is from Egypt, and went to live in the land of Midian. Well, now I want us to stop there just a moment. Well, we'll read one more verse. When, he, when Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now, we'll stop there for just a moment. Now, you know, you read that, 
Moses is over here in Egypt, and he knows now that his life is in danger. So we just read in the Bible, well, he just went over to Midian. Well, you don't just go over to Midian. Midian is, is probably about 440, we're going to round off, 440 miles away. It's out in the Sinai Desert. 440 miles he traveled. Did a little math on that. Like he, he, could, he could probably travel, give or take, but we'll say eight, eight miles a day. And he had to go 440 miles. And so it would take him about 55 days to go. Like we read in the Bible, it doesn't look like a big deal. Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. <laughs> 55 days, give or take, Moses, whether he was walking, riding a camel, I don't know how he got there. The Bible doesn't say. But what I do know is that'd be quite a journey when you say, I'm going to leave Egypt and I'm going to Midian, which is what he did. And of course, in Midian, we'll talk about it in a moment, he was going to spend the next 40 years of his life. His first 40 years are behind him. Now we're moving into kind of phase two of his life, uh, this next 40 years over here in Midian. Now, you, you, you remember what happened in Midian? It says now, and when he got there, he sat down beside a well. Well, you know, maybe there were more wells than just this one well. I, I don't know that. Bible doesn't tell us that. I wouldn't just think there's one well in Midian, but he sat down by a well. And the well he sat down by side, uh, there were these seven women who came to draw water. And the Bible tells us in these verses that some men decided to run these women away. And the Bible says that Moses interceded. Moses evidently was a strong person. He wasn't afraid of these men. And he kind of shooed them away. And help these women. And they get back home. And their father said, how in the world have you gotten back so quick? And then they told about this man that they met at the well. And it winds up, of course, uh, that father of those girls was a man named Ruel, who also is named Jethro. If you look down in verse 21, it says, Moses, accept the invitation. The, 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 the man, the father said, go back and get, these, get, these, get this man to come. And we want to show our hospitality for what he's done. Well, ultimately, in time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, to be his wife. Now, if you look uh, elsewhere, we'll read it. Yeah, in, in chapter 3, in verse number 1, I believe it is, you see the name is Jethro. Well, here in chapter, in chapter 2, he's called Ruel. Well, uh, many, of, many of the people had went by two different names. So it's, there's no contradiction in scriptures talking about the very same man. Now, as you think about this Midian experience, though, uh, were the 40 years in Midian, is that just kind of a coincidence that he got in trouble over here in Egypt and he was afraid for his life and so he journeys over to Midian? I mean, or, or could that have had something to do with the providence of God? Was God in this? You know, you, the, the, you, you ask that question. Sitting down by this well, was God in that? Uh, the seven daughters coming to draw water, was God in that? Well, you know, we read these things and we say, well, you know, perhaps one way, perhaps another way. Well, let's go to the burning bush in chapter 3. That's another experience in Moses' life. Uh, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro which is the same guy we read about 
named Ruel, the priest of Midian. And here's what Moses did. Look at this. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai. Now, he's just out taking care of the flock. But the Bible says on this occasion, he led the flock far into the wilderness. Perhaps that means more than would be normal. And he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And it's here that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And, of course, Moses stared at the bush. And you know the story of the, of the bush. And that's where God told Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Well, here again, you know, I, I was thinking about this. You know, suppose he had not led the flock far into the wilderness. Suppose he had just led the flock, you know, half that distance. Like, would, 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 would God have dealt with him there? Or, I don't know. He went far in the wilderness, and God dealt with him through the vernacular. The question is, is it coincidental, or is it providential? Now, with that little background behind us, if you'll get your midweekly, I want you to think about some things, because let me just say this. My own conviction, there are many things that happen in our lives, many experiences that are the providence of God, and we sometimes, many times, too often times, just chalk them off as coincidental. You know, that's just, you know, that happened. I don't see how that would have anything to do with God or that. Well, you know, we're all human. We all struggle with that. Well, I, I, I think in our first little blank here, we would write down many things we think are coincidental are, are providential. And I believe that. Um, I look back on my own life. And you look back on yours, and I think you'll see that, that things happened at the time. You, it, it didn't look like it had anything to do with God any at all. It's just a normal, natural thing. But then as time goes on, you look back and say, you know what? Um, God, God that, that was not coincidental at all. That was, that was the providence of God. Uh, you know, I think about when we got married, we, we both attended different churches and it was just assumed I don't know that we ever had a great discussion about it but uh, maybe so but I think we had kind of agreed that she was going to join my church because actually we were going to live closer to my church than we would be to her church that was just well most amazing thing before we were married my pastor one day had called and said he'd like to take me to lunch and talk to me a little bit. And I met him for lunch, and, and I just had such love and respect for him. And he said, you know, I'm just happy about your upcoming marriage. And he was going to be in the wedding and, and all that, and uh, along with Dottie, his pastor who actually officiated the wedding. He said, you know, this is going to come across strange to you, but I just feel like God has impressed upon me that you should join her church and rather than her join our church. And he said, now let me explain why I say that. He said, our church is blessed with many people that work at the uh, Georgia Baptist Convention, and then the uh, home mission board was stationed there, and many of the people who worked at the home mission board went to that church, same church I went to. And he said, really, we have, we have just more workers than we need in our church. And he said, now Dottie's church is a little different. 
And I think you could be a blessing in that church. And so I'll be happy if you and Dottie both stay at our church. But I want you to know, I want you to consider that. I want you to think about that. Well, you know, you really, it's kind of a blow when you're a young guy like I was and the preacher's suggesting you leave. Uh, I mean, but I knew his heart. But here's a point. I did do that, but it was at her church where a staff member in that church God used to help me understand he's not the only one, but a very important one. I found, I found what God wanted me to do that I don't know how that would have worked out had it gone the other way. And I always look back on that and think, you know, that was not coincidental. My pastor, I think, was in tune with God. And, and I don't think he knew what the outcome of that would be. But that's kind of what the outcome of that was. Now, you can look back on your life. I, I could just talk about so many things that at the moment they look coincidental. But here's what we need to understand. With God, every moment is his moment. Could I have an amen to that? Like God's involved in everything. I mean, and, and so it doesn't mean that everything out here, you know, this is the plan of God. But it means we need to be careful not to just write off things as coincidental that may be providential. And I think we see that in the life. We could go back in the life of Joseph, if we wanted to, and go through his whole journey. And all these things that happened to him, you could say, well, I, you know, his brothers did this and this happened, this happened. Yeah, but look how, look how God, all that was part of God preparing him for what God was going to do. Now, the second thing is our brokenness over our sins prepares us to accomplish God's purpose in life. And I do hope you'll write that down. And we see that in this meeting experience. During these 40 years that, that Moses was in Midian, now, we don't have all the details about what all went on in those 40 years there. But now let me remind you, he had killed a man. And nowhere in the Bible do we find any record he ever asked God's forgiveness for that. He murdered a guy. But I believe in my heart that out in that Midian 40 years, God was dealing with him about things that need to be dealt with. And even though we don't read in the Bible, I can't help but believe that he didn't uh, confess to God that, and ask forgiveness for that. And, and, and it, was, it was a real preparation time. But the, the, the point is, without brokenness for our own sins, listen to me, I don't think we'll ever accomplish the purpose and the plan that God has for us. Because like unconfessed sin and when when we see sin for what sin is and and realize we've sinned against God uh, it, it gives you a feeling of brokenness that that's this that even though it's a bad feeling it, it's a cleansing thing it's like cleaning out the arteries where God can work and move and until there is a brokenness, it's like the arteries are kind of semi-blocked and, and God can't work and do and accomplish his purpose through our life that he would otherwise. And, and so I, I think that is so very good. Uh, number three, our brokenness over our sins, that's Moses, helps us know the difference between uh, coincidental and providential, and I believe that to be true. 
like until we've experienced brokenness over our sins. You know, the old thing is like a man can't be saved that doesn't realize he's lost. You know, when a person really, when it, when it becomes clear they're lost and hell bound, I'll guarantee you what, that, that, that'll be an experience of brokenness like none other can be. And, and it helps you then to begin to have a sensitivity. Now, wait a minute. This may be more than a coincidence. Uh, this, this may be the providence of God. And, oh, it, it, it puts us in position to live out the plan that God has for our life now. Number four, I, I, I couldn't help but mention this. God uses imperfect people. <laughs> I mean, Moses was no way perfect. He killed a man. Not only that, God told Moses, he disobeyed God. God told Moses, you know the story over the book of Numbers in chapter 20. God told him to speak to a rock and water to come out. And what Moses did, he took a rod and struck the rock twice. And God said, okay, because you struck the rock when I told you to speak to the rock, you're never going to be the one to take my people into the promised land. You know, Moses never, he never took the children of God into the promised land. He got up and looked over the promised land. And now, now John said in a sermon not long ago, he said, well, in, the, in another way, Moses got there, you know, Mount Transfiguration. Well, he did there, but he, he, he wasn't the one that led them into the promised land. He, he was not a perfect person. God uses imperfect people. And, and the truth of that is he would have to use imperfect people because there are no perfect people. And I'm just saying to you, you look at yourself, say, you know, I, I'm just... You know, I'm just too imperfect to do anything in God's plan. Let me remind you, everybody God uses is an imperfect person. And I thank God for that. And Moses is a good example for that. And then our sins do have consequences. You know, let's not push the grace of God so far that we think sin doesn't matter. For Moses, the consequence was he did not get to lead the people on across the Jordan River into the promised land. After all that journey out there, all those years, when he got to the goal line, he wasn't allowed to do it. So sin does have consequences. Now, very quickly, I want you to turn, I want to show two verses and we'll stop. Psalm 103 is probably the classic verse on the sovereignty of God, on the sovereignty of God. And, you know, I even look back on this land. You can't believe the doors that closed on other land we thought we were going by, one particularly. At that, and when that door closed, I just was broken. I thought, I just, well, see, <laughs> that, that, that was not coincidental. The way it got closed might have been humanly wrong, but it was still not. God, in his providence, had land we didn't even know existed that could be bought out here. I could just tell you story after story after story where in my own life and in the life of the church, things that just, doors just closed. Yeah, but remember, every time a door closes, God's going to open another door. And if we'll just know God has a plan. Look with me in Psalm 103, verse 19. It's a great, great, great verse. And uh, in the New Living Translation, bear with me a minute. The only thing about this Bible that's difficult is the pages are thin. 
And uh, I have a hard time sometimes opening some of them. Yeah, here we are. Psalm 103, verse 19. says, The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Could I have an amen to that? Folks, I just want to remind you, God's in charge. <laughs> you know, God's in charge. And I know, I know sometimes we think, well, we've we got to put our hope in this. Look, you just put your hope in God. And then one other psalm. It's really, I love it as much as that one. Uh, John always says, Dad, this is your favorite psalm on the sovereignty of God. It's Psalm 115. It's Psalm 115, verse 3. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven, and he does as he wishes. Folks, listen. God is sovereign. Amen? And he has a plan. And I'm saying this to you. Where you are in life right now, I don't know how much more life you have. I don't know how much more life I have. But that's, that's beyond us to know. But what we do know is that we're alive now. And we've got some time out here, we trust. And all of it, all of it, God has a plan. And to me, one of the most exciting things is when you see Christian people uh, taking their life and out in whatever sphere of life they're in, seeing that, hey, there's something I can do that'll be part of God's plan to help people move to his big plan that out there one day, they too can be in heaven for all eternity.